This is the Booze Tutor Podcast, and class is in session here on the WGOB Network. Like we always do, grab a chair, pull it up, get comfortable, and let's get that medicine in you. And this session of the Booze Tutor's medicine, quote-unquote, is the American Pale Ale. As we continue our journey down uh, styles of, you know, styles of beers of the world, we stay in North America and we pull up the bus to the American Pale Ale. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, the Booze Tutor is kind of presented uh, by the Grills of Booze as a no frills, no thrills, you know, not a lot of pop and pomp, pomp and circumstance. I'm all right. Pomp and circumstance. You know, not a lot of funs and games and stuff. It's just, uh, you know, straight information about a style of beer. Each episode is a different style of beer. We focus on one style. Eventually, we'll run out, and then we'll move on to other forms of alcohol, you know, vodkas, wines, gins, tequilas, whatever you like. All the information presented in this series, if you want to know more in depth, is available on episode zero, our introductory episode. Uh, but basically, you know, everything comes from the Brewdex app, from the Beer Judge Certification uh, Program style guidelines, as well as from uh, Draft Magazine, a little bit from Beer Advocate, and uh, just some, you know, some general knowledge that I've picked up along the way, traveling the uh, earth in my decades of life. You chew it up, you spit it out, and what comes out is the booze tutor. So like I said off the top, this uh, session is the American Pale Ale. We'll focus on the American Pale Ale. And we should probably address one of the top questions people ask about pale ale right off the top. So what's the difference between a pale ale and an IPA? A pale ale is really a style of beer that's brewed mostly with pale malts. And the goal is more of an equal malt, uh, you know, kind of malt to hop ratio. Whereas the IPA, it's very similar, but it aims for a much more aggressive hop character. That's the very, you know, bare bones, bottom kind of difference between the two. So the American pale ale. The pale ale, it's another example of a style of beer adopted from, uh, you know, over the sea, overseas across the pond, so to speak, uh, as opposed to being a true homegrown style, you know, a style uh, developed in the United States, kind of like the cream ale is or like the California common. This is very much a style that's adopted from, uh, you know, England in this case. Uh, in fact, the term pale ale originated in England and it was adopted to describe English ales that were not as dark as their hugely, hugely popular porter over there. Uh, the rise of the pale ale in England, it really began as malting technology improved. So in the late 18th century and into the, you know, the early 1800s and mid 1800s, the pale ale, the English pale ale generally is not the color you would think of when you think of an American pale ale. They were really kind of amber or copper in color and include various styles within, you know, under the pale ale umbrella. They include various styles, uh, the English bitter, the, uh, you know, the English version of the India pale ale, uh, and then, you know, like the Belgian pale ale. But we'll talk more about the English version of the style when we, when we do jump across the pond uh, and get out of the North American styles of beers and get into the, the English beer styles. So what about pale ale in America? Well, let me uh, just read from, I want to get the right quote here. Uh, writer Michael Jackson, who Michael Jackson is not the singer, you know, not the king of pop, as you might suspect. Uh, he's a celebrated writer on all things, you know, beer and liquor. He believes the first modern American ale was brewed by Anchor and called the Anchor Liberty Ale. It was produced in 1975 by Anchor Brewing 
and it was designed to commemorate, uh, uh, oh God, Paul Revere's ride in 1775. It's generally accepted that the true major development of the pale ale style in the United States, however, was uh, in the 1800s. And as often happens, you know, as we've seen with, you know, with the, the cream ale in particular with Janice, or Genesee, Genesee, Janice, wow, I'm all right. Um, you get a company that becomes very much intertwined with a style of beer. And that's the case here with the American Pale Ale and Sierra Nevada. So Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, it's really thought of as the first American brewery to use a significant amount of American hops in the pale ale style. And it's really thought of, or accepted at least, as the first brewery to use the name American Pale Ale to describe the style uh, of the beer that they brewed. Sierra Nevada brewed that first experimental batch in November of 1980, and they distributed it in March of 1981. And it remains really today their most popular beer style. You, you know, you can go into the stores or the bars and order a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and that's what you get—the first real style of American Pale Ale. Uh, just a few short years after Sierra started to brew their American Pale Ale. You had other pioneers of the style beginning to pop up. So New Albion started to make one, uh, and Yakima were probably the two next after Sierra Nevada that were brewing the pale ale. The development of the American pale ale was born out of the craft beer revolution. Uh, it was meant to give another appro- very approachable style to people that were out there uh, that were digging you know, the, the craft beers. But also wasn't too far of a departure because you know people were digging the lager, so it's really not. It was designed to not be too much of a departure from the already super super popular, uh, commercialized beer style of the time, which is the American lager. Now the thought process behind the American pale ale, at least according to Tim Alexander of Deschutes Brewery, he said, "quote The craft brewer wanted to distinguish themselves from macro brews, you know, your your big-time brewers, the evil empires, as we call them. Uh, So right away, they went to a classic English style that could then be adopted and put a twist on, end quote. American craft brewers, uh, essentially, they took the lower ABV English pale ales and they increased the alcohol content, uh, added more malts and hops, and made it more highly carbonated. All of that was really designed to appeal appeal to the uh, the American craft beer drinker. And then there you had it. The American Pale Ale was born. And in fact, the American Pale Ale, traditionally speaking, ended up becoming the most popular and most well-known American craft beer style, of course, until the huge, huge explosion in popularity of the American IPA, a boon in which you know we're still involved. Everyone's looking for the American IPA. The Pale Ale kind of gets left by the wayside a little bit. So that said, all that said, what makes a pale ale a pale ale? The simplest word in, a, in just a single word, well, I guess it's two words, is uh, pale, pale ale malt. Man, that's three words. Yeah, uh, I'm not a math guy. Uh, pale ale malt is really what makes a pale ale a pale ale. That is to say, though, that the American pale ale is typically brewed with uh, North American two-row pale ale malt. Uh, hops in, in the brew are either American or New World, uh, whichever whichever term you prefer. And the style allows for really a wide range of hop, uh, hop characteristics. And American or sometimes even English ale style yeast is used in the brew. 
In addition, specialty grains may be used to add sort of a, a, a complexity and a character. Generally, though, those grains will make up a relatively small portion of the, of the overall grist. Uh, and grist, if you're if you're not familiar with the term in brewing terms, is basically just the the term for you know crushed malt that hasn't been mashed yet. And you know, oh, what's mashing? Well, uh, mashing is uh, the I guess the easiest definition or the description or whatever for mashing would be uh, the hot water steeping process in brewing. What it does is it activates malt enzymes and uh, converts grain starches into fermentable sugars. So that's your, your grist definition and your mashing definition, simple definitions of both. And if you need you know, more definitions of terms, check out our zero episodes. That's our, our zero episode of the, of the booster, our introductory episode, a lot more terms and things like that there. So, sorry, moving right along. There are various ways that brewers can try to differentiate uh, brands. So including using different grains that add a malt richness or a flavor, uh, some sweetness, you know, added stuff to get you bready or toasty notes, as well as, of course, your late hop additions. All of those things can help differentiate different brands of the American Pale Ale. Now, as far as the characteristics, the overall characteristics of the American Pale Ale, you know, when you crack one and you pour it into a glass and you're ready to enjoy it, it should appear a pale golden can get all the way up to like a light amber color. You're going to have a pretty moderately large white to slightly off white head, uh, and you're going to have very good head retention. And in the strictest form of the style, it's generally going to appear quite clear. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, in today's haze-obsessed beer world, uh, you're going to find plenty of hazy versions of the style, and you're going to get that especially in pale ales that, are, that have been dry hopped. You're going to get a lot of the, the haze too. Now drop your nose in there, and the American Pale Ale should present a moderate to strong hop aroma. The hops should be very present there. Uh, typically the hops are, again, the American or New World, whichever you prefer variety, uh, and they can have a wide, wide range of, of aroma characteristics. Uh, they can be anything from uh, you know, piney, uh, spicy, floral, they can be citrusy, you can get some stone fruit, you can get some tropical fruit, uh, you can have some that are very resinous, um, very, you know, kind of a melon or a berry. Now, the, the, and the Beer Judge Certification Program, it doesn't require any of those specific characteristics in the description of the style, but for sure, the hops should be very present. There should be no question that they're there. And um, I guess I should, just a note, I should say just a note, when we say American or New World hops, the terms are used differently in some places and interchangeably in others. So it depends really on where you're looking and where you're researching and all that kind of stuff. Essentially, though, the term kind of applies to 30, about 30 different variety of hops. Some of the more popular ones that you've probably heard of are Amarillo, uh, Cascade, Citra, um, let me think, El Dorado, Mosaic, Nugget, Warrior, those are all your American or New World hops. Now, in, in addition to the hop character in the American Pale Ale, there, there should be a low to moderate maltiness as well. The malts may, uh, they may show up a small amount of specialty character. Uh, so they mean, that means that they could be, the malts could be a little bit bready, they could be toasty, 
you could get kind of a caramel flavor or even like some biscuit biscuitness biscuitness i'm pretty sure is not a word biscuity let's go with biscuity you could also be a little bit biscuity now that said though any fruit esters fruity esters in the beer they can vary wildly from moderate to none uh and if but and if any dry hopping is used in the process so if you decide to dry hop the beer there could be an addition of you know like grassy notes you know the real the real strong you know hop notes that you would expect from a from a dry hop beer uh, that said though, those grassy notes and stuff, they shouldn't be excessive. Now the moment's come. It's the moment you've been waiting for. It's in your mouth. The mouthfeel is fairly straightforward on the American pale ales. There's not really a whole lot to talk about. It's just a, it's a medium light to up to about a medium body. And it's going to be very, it's not very, but it's going to be highly carbonated. It's going to be a high carbonated beer. It's going to have a smooth finish overall without any real, uh, astringency and definitely no real harshness to it. And astringency in the beer world, anyway. Uh, just as an aside, it's it's really it's an off flavor. Uh, the most common source is over milled grain, and it can give off a mostly vinegary uh, flavor or kind of a puckering taste. You know, and it, with a dry sensation, you know that like I'm sure that's a great sound effect for everybody that's going to listen to that. But the, you know that feeling, um, and you can. You can, you can almost get like a powdery metallic taste from it as well, from, from the astringency. Uh, it's allegedly that's similar to sucking on a dry tea bag. I've never done it myself, so I'll leave that out there for those of you who enjoy sucking on tea bags, giggity, uh, to try out for yourself. Um, the, sensation, the sensation that we're talking about here, it works in a sour beer, definitely. Uh, but you could, I think you could see why you wouldn't want it in a, in a pale ale, though. Now here we go, the flavor. The flavor follows the aroma in a lot of ways. So you're gonna have a, a moderate to high hop flavor, which will typically show those American hop characters that, that we already talked about, so uh, that we talked about in the nose. So citrus, floral, spicy, piney, tropical fruit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's gonna be a low to moderate, clean, grainy malt character that it's there to support the hops. And like the aroma though, there, there can be small amounts of specialty malt character. So once again, that, that breadiness, the biscuitiness, biscuit, biscuitness, biscuity, whatever, uh, toastiness, you know, that, that, those kinds of characters, the profile is going to tend to lean definitely more towards the hops and the bitterness, but the, but the maltiness should definitely be there. The malt should be supportive and not really distracting from the hops. However, now, if there is any kind of caramel flavors from the malt, uh, from the malt, really there shouldn't be any. It should be absent, or if it's there, it should be really fairly, you know, restrained. It definitely shouldn't clash with the hops uh, if the flavors are there at all. Fruity esters from your yeast and stuff. It can be moderate to none. Again, similar to the aroma. Uh, however, the style can still vary from from very fruity to you know to not as fruity. It really. Uh, all from the various hop varieties that you that you might use, so you can still get a lot of that fruitiness there. There's gonna be a moderate to high hop bitterness, and you're gonna have a medium to dry finish. And while the hop flavor and bitterness will often linger into the finish, the aftertaste generally it shouldn't it should be clean. It, it shouldn't really be harsh. It's not like a you know a real super aggressive IPA. It's, it shouldn't you shouldn't have that same feeling at the end. And once again, similar to the aroma, if you're dry hopping, you know, you're going to have some of those grassy notes. 
and again, though, just like in the Roman, they, they shouldn't be uh, very excessive here. Now it's the vitals, your vital statistics. So the SRM, the standard reference, it's five, you can be five to 10 or five to 14, depending on where you look. I saw both actually. Uh, your IBUs, your bittering units, between 30 and 50 gen tends to be the accepted numbers. And your ABV, your alcohol by volume, you're going to sit somewhere between 4.5% uh, up to about 6.2% in, in that area. Food-wise, it's going to pair well with uh, pizza, of course. Like we talked about in the first episode, everything pairs with pizza. Uh, but no, but uh, the spice from Mexican dishes... Uh, or even that spiciness from the from Thai food or even Vietnamese food. Uh, it's good with fried foods, uh, grilled meats, certain cheeses, you know, like um, cheddar or Asiago. And as far as commercial examples of the style, there's going to be plenty that you've heard of. Maybe some you haven't really heard of, depending on which part of uh, of the world you're listening to this or which part of the country or which part of, you know, wherever. Obviously, the, the most... The, the most commercial example, the one you have to start with when you talk about the style, is Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. Uh, but there's also Dale's Pale Ale is fairly common out in most liquor stores or beer stores now. Uh, Three Floyd Zombie Dust. Um, uh, let me think. Great Lakes uh, Burning River Pale Ale is one. Stone makes a pale ale. Trogues makes a pale ale. If you're looking for something a little bit more like craft brewery, stand in line type of a thing, uh, Treehouse Brewing in Massachusetts has their pride and purpose. That's their American pale ale. Very, very strong beer, if I do say so myself. Uh, Trillium, also in Massachusetts, they make Fort Point, which is their pale ale. And I'm a Jersey guy, so a little hometown love, a little homerism in me. Uh, Magnify Brewing in Fairfield, New Jersey makes their low visibility. Low visibility is their American pale ale. Very... Uh, very crushable. It's definitely a session. It's very good. So to wrap up, American pale ales are refreshing and hoppy with just the right amount of malt flavor. That's what you should be looking for. The hoppiness should be clean and reflect those American or New World hop characteristics. And all in all, it's an average strength. It's balanced, hoppy, pale craft beer, which tends to be more accessible than the modern American IPA. It's just another American spin on a classic English style, and it's definitely a staple of the American craft beer movement. Well, again, there's the bell, and looking at the clock on the wall, my time for this session is just about done. Appreciate you sitting in with us for this session of the Booze Tutor for the American Pale Ale. And that means we've come to it. We've, we've circled, uh, circled around the block, pulled up in front of the house. That is the American IPA. There's no place left to go from the Pale Ale but to the American IPA. So we're going to stay in North America next time. And we're going to look at the American IPA, the American Indie Pale Ale. But I think we'll probably split it into two because there's a lot to talk about with the IPA. Uh, so we'll probably do the American IPA. And then in a separate session, we'll do the Imperial IPA. And talk a little bit about the differences between the two of those. And if you bear with me for a second here, I don't know what bell with me means. Uh, bear with me for a second here. Talk to you a little bit about what's going on in the Gorillas of Booze world. The first thing, and the thing that we're, we're very proud about and we're excited about, is we're brand new members of the Hopped Up Network. And what you have to do yourself, do yourself a favor, check out the Hopped Up Network, hoppedupnetwork.com. That's H-O-P-P-E-D-U-P-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. 
Nobody's going to respond. Listen, it's hopped up network. Hopped up like I'm hopped up on beer network.com. It's uh it's a home of of a number of beer podcasts, beer related podcasts. Uh, a bunch of guys really just trying to help each other out and build an audience for everybody. Uh, it's it's very it's super super cool, but if you're going to if you're going to go to the website, do yourself a favor. I learned this from experience. Make sure you have some time because what's going to happen is you're going to listen to one show and you're going to fall down the rabbit hole of listening to another show and another show and another show. It happened to me the other the other day when I was on there uh, after we got accepted and after we joined, after we were on the on the site. Obviously, I went on to check to see that the WGOB network was there, which we are. Uh, and I ended up listening to these guys, the Speak podcast. And uh, funny dudes, funny dudes. But I, I ended up on the show because they were doing their stout stravaganza. And I'm a guy that hates stouts. Uh, and because I hate stouts, the other guys in the Grills of Booze are punishing me. And we're going to do an all-stout show for our GOB TV, uh, Grills of Booze TV. And then we're going to have a like a little series where we look at one stout per per show for another show that we're doing. So I'm getting punished because I hate stouts. So it was funny to listen to a show where these guys take on three stouts and stuff. So check it out. Check out the Speak podcast. Uh, their, new, their newest episode of Stout Stravaganza. But definitely go to the Hopped Up Network, hoppedupnetwork.com. Check out our show. Check out all the other shows that are there. A lot of guys working hard. A lot of really high-quality podcasts there. As far as our world, the Gorillas of Booze, uh, check us out on all social media, of course. Uh, at Booze Gorillas on Twitter, at Gorillas of Booze on Instagram, Gorillas of Booze on Facebook. Uh, the WGOB Network. WGOB Network is our YouTube channel where you can check out our shows, Gorillas of Booze TV. Uh, we have an all-pumpkin, speaking of punishing ourselves, we have an all-pumpkin episode uh, that should be up there fairly soon. Uh, our most recent episode of Slosh Talk, which is actually a couple weeks uh, late. That's our show after the show, after the show, after the show that we do where we're just drunk and rambling. Our new episode of Slosh Talk should be up any day. Uh, and then our pumpkin episode will be up. Um, check out WGOB Network on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on SoundCloud to get all the audio versions of our world. Uh, we have a new episode of our full our full podcast, GOB Radio. That should also be up fairly soon. We did kind of a grab bag of uh, of beer so that we got out of the doing one brewery at a time routine. So that's all of our stuff. Check us out again at hoppedupnetwork.com. That's it. So my name is Doug, and I represent those gorillas of booze. This is the Booze Tutor Podcast. See you next time.